Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast presents Stories from the Cabin, a storytelling podcast within a podcast featuring tales from the countries and cultures whose people make up the diverse region we know as Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobbitt. Hey folks, welcome to this month's episode of Stories from the Cabin. This month I'm going to be reading from Cornish Folk Tales of Place, Traditional Stories from North and East Cornwall by Anna Chorlton. I was first introduced to this book on the Folklore Podcast, Mark Norman's podcast, and I immediately bought the book and fell in love with it, but I only read about half, and it was one of those books sitting on my bookshelf that kept staring at me saying, read me, read me. And as part of the reason why I'm doing this stories from the cabin section. So this month I've got five Cornish Pisky tales, inspired not only by the book's gaze, but because I mentioned fairies in the previous episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast on Death Omens. So without further ado, here are five Cornish Pisky tales from Anna Chorlton. A Voyage with the Piskies. Port Hollow is a hamlet near Talon Bay with a few scattered farmhouses and a green. One day a young farmhand was sent off on an errand to Polperro to the shop. He was running along on his way back when he heard a voice saying, I am for Port Hollow Green. The young man stopped, and enjoying a bit of banter, he echoed, I am for Port Hollow Green, wishing he was there already. And he found himself on Port Hollow Green surrounded by little laughing piskies. After a few moments a cry was heard, I am for Seaton Beach. Thinking this was fun, the lad repeated, I am for Seaton Beach. In an instant, he found himself on Seaton Beach. He put his errand down and joined a ring of piskies dancing on the sand. Then the cry came, I am for the King of France's cellar. Hopefully, the lad repeated, I am for the King of France's cellar. He found himself being poured a drink of the finest wine in the King of France's very best cellar. He explored his new surroundings in astonishment, for he had never been far from his village. This was a splendid building with a fine table laid out for a feast. Thinking he would like a souvenir of some sort, he quickly pocketed a golden goblet from the table before the cry came again, I am for Seaton Beach! The lad repeated it, I am for Seaton Beach! Not particularly wanting to be left in a foreign land forever, rich as it was. Reaching the beach, he was just in time to retrieve his parcel from the tide when the cry came, I am for Port Hollow Green! And the lad said, I am for Port Hollow Green! He was soon back in Port Hollow. That night he told his family about his adventure. They looked at one another and said, The lad is mazed. And the lad, knowing they would have thought this, pulled a shining treasure from his pocket. The farmhand's family examined the golden goblet belonging to the King of France in amazement, and it stayed in the family for generations. Pisky Led, a note from the author. On Bodmin Moor, around Jamaica Inn, farmland and moorland overlap, as do the paths of farmer and pisky. There is a saying on Bodmin Moor to be pisky led. Pisky led is when the piskies lead travelers or farmers astray on the moors. Pisky led people are mazed, confused and disoriented, lost. Even in a place known well, the unfortunate person won't be able to find their way. Luckily, there's a cure for being mazed. 
simply turn your pockets inside out or socks, jacket, hat. Even better, never venture out on the moor without first turning your socks and pockets inside out. Then you will be one step ahead of the piskies. John and William Bay were out on the moor, counting their grazing cattle. The cattle were roaming free on the common land for the summer season. It had been one of those years when the rain kept coming. The drains overflowed and the grass went squelch underfoot. Along the way, the two men laughed together as they climbed hedges and jumped squirting springs and flooded lanes. Up on the moor, this state of saturation was accentuated even more than in the villages. In late summer, the bogs were usually dried and stuffed full with peering reeds. In contrast, this year, the bogs were filled up from the underground spilling springs, gullies, and miners' caverns. Beneath the earth and rock sat a hidden sea. Anyone who had business out in the marshes, like John and William, had best tread with care on the stepping stones and firmer patches of ground. John could see a good amount of his black-bellied cows as he came over a hill. A herd of moorland horses galloped by. He threw his stick after them, urging them away from the water. But unbeknownst to William, the horses belonged to the piskies. Tiny stirrups could just be seen plated into the horses' manes. The stirrups twinkled like stars in the flapping manes as the horses ran off down the hill. Standing on a granite rock nearby was a ring of piskies who had been about to mount their horses. The piskies stamped their boots in frustration and looked angrily about for the cause of their horses' sudden flight. Whatever you do, you don't want to make the pisky angry, for they play tricks on those who displease them. John had already begun to walk home, and William went to follow him, taking a safe path they knew so well. A safe path they took daily through the treacherous bog. All of a sudden, John sunk to his wrist in the black, watery slime. He thought he would find a rock ledge to use as an anchor, as he usually did if he missed his footing in such a manner. Strangely, there was nothing but more loose mud beneath him. Mud thick as treacle, slimy as syrup, a treacherous pond pudding. John couldn't move his legs. They were stuck fast. He tried to scissor kick free, but scissors don't cut mud. John had begun to feel truly mazed by his sudden predicament, confused and scared. He thought he would be swallowed by the bog and found in a thousand years' time, perfectly preserved, his farmer's hat still on his head, his farmer's boots still tightly laced. Quick as a fairy's flash, William remembered the stout wooden stick he always carried with him on such journeys. William held it out across the bog, and John began to wriggle his torso toward it. Scraping with his fingers across the slimy, weedy surface was most unpleasant. All the while he felt as if the pisky huntsmen were hooting and laughing at their revenge on poor, muddy, mazed John. Well, after much strain, John managed to grab the stick. William heaved and William pulled. William's arms were tough as tin, hard as the oak trees he sawed for firewood each winter. Both of John's arms lay stretched across the surface, arms brawny from bale-throwing, sturdy from stone-walling, and he clamped them to the heavy stick. William pulled, John held fast, and squelch. John was winched out of the muddy bog. He slid along the surface, holding onto the stick for dear life, until he felt firmer land beneath his belly. 
I was pisky led, I tell ye, that's what it was. Pisky nothing. You mazed by they, not led by they. Just a bit of mud, John. Stealing our horses, they were. Have to keep a closer look on the cattle we've got up here from now on. That is may be, John, that is may be. Look as have it. I put my socks on inside out this morning. As William and John walked home across the moor, the latter cold and muddy, but glad to be alive, they were watched by tens of tiny folk, tiny folk hiding in their gorse bushes, behind the rocks, beneath the moor ferns, tiny folk who may be watching you when you go for a walk on the moor. So if you feel yourself getting lost or mazed while out walking, just turn your pockets inside out and you'll be safe. Piskies on the Mare's Neck This is a story of the moors of North Cornwall, a place where piskies play in their droves on the granite peaks of Rotor, pronounced Roe to rhyme with bow, and Brown Willie, Bron Winnily, and shine their lanterns in the marshlands. One evening, Josie Tregascus was riding across the moors on his way home from Camelford Market. Josie Tregascus was a young farmer who had always loved horses and had found the mare he was riding as a filly out on this very moor. The mare always trotted across her field to nuzzle Farmer Tregascus. She was as fond of him as he was of her. The mare trotted on and Josie rode with the rhythm of the moors. He could smell the house and felt the right grip with his thighs. The journey home was a treat for him. However tired he felt, the mare gave him a new energy. He would be home in no time. As they rode through the moors, the mare became more and more excitable. She jumped and skittered at every sound. The wind was, unusually, only a breeze. With no other riders in sight, Farmer Tregascus wondered what could be upsetting her. Then he saw them, three piskies clinging to her mane. They swung about, gripping with their hands and knees as they climbed up the mane. Farmer Tregascus tried his best to ignore the extra riders. He shook his hair and blinked his eyes, unsure whether he was imagining things. But when he looked again, Piskies were still there, busy on the mare's neck. On his way to market, Farmer Tregascus had listened to the birds singing from their nests in the moorland grasses. Now he heard tinkling laughter as the Piskies enjoyed the thrill of the ride on the mare's flapping mane. He tried his best to stay in the saddle as the mare broke into a gallop. She was eager to unseat the piskies and get home. She stopped jumping and got herself into a fast rhythm, her hooves skillfully avoiding the granite clitter littering the moor. She rode fast up a tor, and Farmer Tregascus gulped with fear as she plunged down the other side, streaking through the bracken, dodging sheep and clumps of gorse. Farmer Tregascus opened his eyes when the motion stopped, and he knew he was safely back on his farm. He slid off the mare's back and went to hold her head. She tossed it, showing him something. There, plated into her mane, were tens of tiny stirrups ready for a whole fleet of piskies to ride her across the moors. Farmer Tregascus patted the mare's neck, and she rested her head protectively on his shoulder. He knew she had done well not to unseat him and run away with the pisky riders, running wild and free as she had when she was a young filly, before Farmer Tregascus found her. The Boy Who Played with the Piskies 
There was once a boy called Daniel who lived with his mother on the moor. They lived in a sparkling clean cottage. Daniel's mother was a very busy woman, the type who swept up the dust as soon as it fell. She was so busy taking jobs to keep them in food, gathering peat for the fire and cooking, there was no time left for Daniel. Of course, she chatted to him, but she had no time to play, and a playmate Daniel longed for more than anything. As the days grew longer and summer stretched its limbs along the moors, Daniel began to stay out later and roam further every day. He found lots of secret dips and soft grassy hillocks to lie about in, and he had fun getting wet and muddy in the bog and laughing as he was tickled by the reeds. Daniel lay in the grasses watching the nesting birds. He saw foals births and sheeps taken ill. He froze in the wind and grew bronze in the sun. Life on the moor was seldom boring for Daniel, but it was always just him and his experiences. He had no one to share them with, until one morning Daniel was playing by the bog not far from home when he heard laughter. The laughter came from all about him, and of a sudden he saw a ring of piskies dancing on the heather. He lay in the grass watching the piskies for a long time until they had forgotten their dance and began playing a game. More than anything in the world, Daniel wanted to join the Piskies. If only he could, just for a moment, it would be so much fun to be part of a game. Without realizing, Daniel edged closer until he was sitting in plain sight. One of the Piskies turned to wave at Daniel, and another beckoned for him to join them. To his great surprise, Daniel wasn't shy at all, and he was soon standing in the middle of a Pisky ring. All at once the Piskies took off their little green hats and threw them in the air in welcome. The Pisky game was easy to pick up, and Daniel found he was enjoying himself immensely. When he grew tired, he went back to his seat and watched them until dark clouds began to roll over the moors. Daniel's mother would soon be calling him for supper, and Daniel knew he had best go home. Before he could be on his way, he found himself once more in the middle of a Pisky ring, a Pisky stepped forward and spoke to Daniel in a stern voice. You mustn't tell your mother you have been playing with the Piskies. If you do tell her, we will never let you play with us again. If you keep quiet, you can come to play with us every day. I won't say a thing, said Daniel confidently. His mother had never before asked him what he'd been doing, and anyway, the answer would always be the same, out playing on the moor. For many days, Daniel had the time of his life playing with the Piskies. They knew lots of games and always included Daniel, guiding him with much laughter. The Moors will never be lonely again, Daniel thought to himself. I have friends, lots of friends. But Pisky friendship, like Pisky kindness, is not necessarily forever. One day, Daniel was having so much fun he failed to notice the darkening of the sky and carried on with the Pisky game. Daniel's mother had dinner ready, but Daniel was nowhere to be seen. Although he was always out and about during the day, Daniel was also always home for his dinner. Daniel's mother left the dinner, keeping it warm in the warming oven, hung her shawl about her shoulders, and hastened up onto the moors to find her son. As she neared the place where the Piskies played, she thought she could hear laughter coming from all around her. She called to Daniel, and he came running up the bank from the marsh. "'I'm just coming, mother. Sorry I'm late,' he cried. "'You get yourself home as fast as you can.' 
Daniel walked slowly home with his mother and ate his tea in silence. At last his mother spoke. Who were you playing with up on the moors? I could hear laughter, but I couldn't see anyone. Daniel said nothing, but his mother kept persisting. Come on, Daniel, you can tell me. A boy must tell his mother who his playfellows are, and in any case, they must be strangers because we are the only family out on this part of the moor. In a very small voice, Daniel said, They told me not to tell you. Well, all the more reason I must know, Daniel. I don't want to tell you because they said they would never play with me again. Daniel and his mother were quiet a while as they finished their tea, and then as they sat in silence with their empty plates, Daniel realized he would have to tell her. I was playing with piskies. Piskies? she asked. Yes, mother. I was terribly lonely and longed for someone to play with. I am so sorry, Daniel. I will make time to play. We will explore the moors together. You will never be lonely again. I will make sure of it. She gave him a big hug and went to find some sugar biscuits for pudding. Daniel never did play with the Piskies again. He missed their games and merry laughter, but he was very happy his mother had time for him, and they had many an adventure together. The Piskies and the Housework Long ago, a young girl named Tegan, who was named after a Cornish queen, was invited to stay with her great-aunt Cheston, who lived in a cottage near Liskard on the edge of Bodmin Moor. In those days, it wasn't often a child was invited away, and Tegan's mother made a big fuss in preparing her. You must be polite and helpful at all times, Tegan. Helpful. Yes, that is what you must be. An elderly lady like Aunt Cheston shouldn't be doing all her housework alone. Yes, mother, Tegan assured her. Tegan's mother turned to her husband, who was busy shaving wood off a swollen door. Aunt Cheston has a large pot of gold at her house. If the old woman takes a liking to our Tegan, we will get a good share of gold when she dies. Her husband didn't comment, preferring to stare intently along the wood. When at last Tegan was ready with a sack of clothes and some cake for her great aunt, she set out in the direction of Liskard. The moors about were windy and wild, but to Tegan's surprise, great aunt Cheston's home was perfectly ordered and smelled of fresh flowers. A good supper was ready in a big black pot on the stove, welcoming as Tegan felt very hungry after her journey. Before she went to bed, Tegan remembered her mother's request and said, Could you please wake me early, great aunt Cheston? I would like to help with the chores. Good night, Tegan, was all her great aunt replied. Tegan was tired out and slept well in the little bed in the damp spare room. When she woke up and ran down to help, Breakfast was all laid, and her great-aunt was sitting by a crackling fire. Tegan spent the day exploring the fields and moorlands surrounding the cottage. She again enjoyed a good supper and asked to be woken especially early to be of use with lighting the fire and any heavy lifting. Great-aunt Cheston just smiled and said good night, and the little girl left the elderly lady rocking in her chair. She woke to the sound of great-aunt Cheston calling her down to breakfast. Downstairs, Tegan looked about her, and again, all the chores had been done. "'You seem very worried about the chores, Tegan,' teased her great-aunt. "'I am very pleased they are all done myself.' It was then Tegan decided to admit her mother's request. "'Mother says I must be very helpful,' she said. 
rather crestfallen at the silliness of her position. The Piskies did all the housework long before you were up. Piskies? What are Piskies? Piskies are fairies, of course. Our own Cornish fairies. Cannot have the Pisky side if you have got to your age and don't even know about them. Piskies are all over Southeast Cornwall, my lovely. It's a shame you'll never see them. Oh, I must, said Tegan, excited. Please, Great Aunt Chesson, how might I? Well, now, Pisky sight can sometimes be gained by looking through a four-leaf clover. They won't like it, mind. Piskies enjoy being helpful, but prefer you let them get on with things and don't even like a thanking. Tegan ate the rest of her boiled eggs in silence and then slipped outside to search the fields for a four-leaf clover. She couldn't find one anywhere, even though the fields were rich with clover. The plants all had three leaves and the cows happily ate it in bunches. She hardly slept that night and woke very early. Standing by the kitchen door, Tegan peered through the keyhole. She could hear a lot of bustling about as the pots and pans clanged together. She even thought she could hear the wood basket being dragged across the floor. But Tegan couldn't see any piskies. In fact, the only thing she could see strolling about the kitchen was Great Aunt Cheston's big, fluffy cat. As she leaned on the door to see closer, Tegan came crashing into the kitchen. The piskies stopped in annoyance and ran away, leaving half the work undone. Great Aunt Cheston came downstairs very grumpy. The old woman set about finishing the chores herself, leaving Tegan to stand around feeling awkward. Escaping, Tegan set out over the fields in search once more of a four-leaf clover. The fields were full of buttercups. Tegan thought she might pick a lovely bunch so that her aunt would forgive her for disturbing the piskies. As she was arranging and rearranging the blooms and delighting at the flowers, Tegan heard the cat meowing at her from a little way across the field. Expecting her to have caught a shrew, Tegan walked over to inspect the cat's find. Beneath its fluffy paw was a perfect four-leaf clover. Aunt Cheston's cat had found Tegan the key to Pisky Sight. On the fourth morning of her stay, Tegan clutched the clover leaf and waited with impatience. At last, she thought she heard the sound of Piskies doing housework. Tegan hurried down the stairs with her treasure and held it up before the keyhole. Tegan looked through the four-leaf clover, and it was exactly as Great Aunt Cheston had said. Piskies were everywhere. Tiny men with pea-green suits and bright dark eyes brushed the floor and mopped it. They carried in the heavy log basket between twenty of them or more and easily started a very good fire. Piskies washed the dishes and scrubbed the pots. Tegan watched as they leapt on one another's shoulders, creating a wobbly pisky tower, and began to pass up the big black pots to hang from the hooks high on the walls. Just as the last pan was halfway up, the bottom pisky fell to his knees, and they all came tumbling down. The piskies looked so comical, grimacing and checking their elbows for grazes, that Tegan laughed very loudly. Seeing them looking to one another in alarm, she tried to hold her hands over her mouth to stifle the giggles. The girl has pisky sight, and she's watching pisky work. We will not stay here another day, they said in chorus. There are plenty of other elderly people needing our help without nosy girls. And with that command, all the piskies ran out of the house, never to return. Great Aunt Cheston was grumpy again, and sent Tegan home.
When she died shortly after, the elderly lady left her gold to strangers, and Tegan learned never, never to interfere with another lady's housework. And there you are. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of Stories from the Cabin. I'll see you on December 1st with a new episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. I thank you all for listening, and y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to like, review, and subscribe to this show on whichever platform you use, I'd greatly appreciate it as it helps spread the word. And after all, isn't that what folklore is about? You can find the Appalachian Folklore Podcast on social media at AppFolklorePod. You can also email me with questions, comments, corrections, stories, recipes, etc. at AppFolklorePod at gmail.com. And you can visit my website, shows.acast.com AFP. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the Appalachian Folklore Podcast cover art. The intro music is Stillness by Riviel. The outro music is I Can See the Sky by All Sever Lake. You can find all citations to the references mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.